0: to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning. Welcome to the fourth part of our series that we've called Heaven Man, what a roller coaster of a month. It's been so encouraging. How many of y'all have gotten something out of this you've never heard before about heaven. It's been so encouraging. Um, listen, if you're part of the people that are in the scattered applause group, uh, you can go online and catch any of our services at newchapel.com/watch. Watch all of them. I would encourage you even several times because I was so encouraged even studying for this series. The things I've learned about heaven really kind of blew my mind. Uh, today is going to be uh, incredible. I have no doubt. First service, I heard raving things. It, it's pretty cool. But before we get on to that, I want to talk to you about next week. Everybody say next week? next week. Next week on December 5th, we are having a Q&A service. So we are officially extending the series. Can I hear a little whoop whoop? Come on somebody, right? Yeah, so uh, we, we felt like we couldn't fit it all in four Sundays. And, and honestly, we're not going to do it in five. Uh, The truth is that volumes have been written about heaven. It is such a rich topic in all of scripture. But I know that some of you have questions. And here's some of the ones that have come in we will deal with, uh, which is, what are we going to be doing there? Are there arts, entertainment, sports? Will we design, engineer, build? Speaking of sports, I think U of M is going to be there. They were were doing all right. (laughs) House Divided. Who are we going to meet in heaven? Will there be marriage, families, friendships? Will we eat in heaven? And how much? Um, What will the weather be like? Anybody else with me? There's no snow? Glory. What does it mean for the curse to be lifted? And here's a cool thing. When you come next week, Pastor Brian and I will be leading the service, and you'll be able to text in your questions in real time. We have an online platform to receive those. We'll be answering questions in service. We're going to take your questions that you ask in real time, preference over some of the ones that have come in so far. You don't want to miss next week. It's going to be fun. And I, I'm always kind of like blown away at where some of those services, uh, like sometimes we end up talking about Nephilim and I'm like, wait a second, you know, but, but it's going to be a riot. So please do come next week for all of that. <laughs> thought bubble. Question. Have you ever thought that you were right about something only to later find out you were dead wrong about the thing you were adamant about. Anybody just want to shame the devil, tell the truth, tell off on yourself? Those of you just mildly shaking your heads, you're the worst at this, by the way. We know some of us are married to you, but not my wife. I was looking at (laughs) y'all. Kaya's right. (laughs) But, you know, this has been something that people have dealt with throughout the ages. There were people way back in the day, even godly people, and they said that the earth is flat. And the reason why I laugh is because halfway through that sentence, I thought, there's some godly people today that think that the earth is flat all of a sudden. But, you know, it was proven that the earth is round. And you would have thought those people the worst people in the world. They burned some of them at the stake, killed them, executed them for saying that the world was round. There were people shortly after that that said that earth is not the center of the universe. In fact, in our galaxy, we're spinning around a sun. And there were people put to death for that. I mean, they, they were adamant about it. and And the only thing that The only thing that bothers me is when somebody's like passionate and adamant about something that you know they're wrong about. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like they are up in your grill. No, it's this way. And you're just like, what brand of stupid do you have to be to think those types? Oh, come on. They're like, how could he say that? You thought that. And, And at the same time, we know that we've fallen into those type of things before. Say amen, somebody. Now, the question is this. Is it possible that even today... Some of you believe that you're right about something, but the fact of the matter is you might be wrong. Okay? Second thought bubble. <laughs> and this is pretty abstract. If you know Pastor Joe's messages, they always start out like this, and then we're going someplace. I kind of like the weatherman. Let me tell you my favorite one is St. Stephen. I think that Bill Stephan is like gold. He's such a nice guy. Um, he's nothing like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. I mean, he's a really nice guy. And so, like, at the same time, I know that, like, Wood sometimes, like, every storms this is it, bat in the hat I mean, like, it's, it's all going to fall apart. Kind of like how WZZM, like, baits us on politics, right? Wood tells us every storm is going to be the one that swipes away your house. But all things being equal, I like weathermen. I like them. I like the fact that they'll warn you about what they know. And, and if they're not embellishing, all they're doing is telling you from the best of our knowledge, this is what we have to say. And they've gotten so much better. I think about some of the big storms we've had, hurricanes. And there's been some in the last several years, but the one that always sticks out in my mind is Katrina. I mean, that was awful. It was so bad. Hit Louisiana, and if you're like under 13 in here, you know, it hit Louisiana and it really tore up New Orleans. It was a bad deal. But the weathermen said, hey, this is the cone on where it might land and get out of there. And so many lives have been saved by the fact that the weatherman has been upfront and honest, this is what's going on. But here's, here's kind of the wild imagination I have, my holy imagination. Okay, I thought about somebody saying, well, I don't want to hear that. I mean, even if we live in Michigan, right? Like, we, we want the sun, but it would be foolish for us to be like, you should not say that, Mr. Weatherman. That's negative. You should say it's going to be sunny. Well, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it, however you want him to dance, I mean, he's, it's not going to change what's going to happen. Does that make sense? No matter how much you believe something, you're not going to make it truth. And so I imagined my holy imagination, somebody going down to Walt Disney World, and they're all excited for their honeymoon even. But yet, when they got down there, their bad weather report, there's a hurricane coming. Well, I just think that's negative. Why would you talk like that? I mean, that's foolish, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bad thing, but don't shoot the messenger, right? And Better better than Doppler. Today, I'm going to give you doctrine. A hurricane is coming to the earth. A storm is a brewing. And we shouldn't shoot the messenger when he's telling you this is what's going on. Here's the weather report. The greatest, most destructive thing ever to hit mankind is on its way, and this storm is a place, and it's called hell. Now... It is classical Pastor Joe 101 to do something fuzzy and furry and sweet like child dedications and straight up preach on hell. So, help a brother out when he's preaching, say amen or o oh me, but... Help me out when I go through this message. I think it's going to bless us. Because without understanding the gravity of eternity, heaven and hell, you will flounder through your life. And it is unlikely that when you face your God, you will hear those words, well done, that good and faithful servant. We need to have eternity on our mind and make some very, very weighty decisions about it. And so what I want to do is spend maybe like a third of our time talking about hell today. And I'm going to answer three questions First one is, is hell real? The second question I want to deal with is, is what is hell like? And the third one is, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Very, very profound questions. Start at the top. Uh, Is hell real? Some people think that it's figurative, that it's symbolic, or it's a metaphor, or that Jesus was actually trying to talk about times on earth that can be a living hell, or is it a real place? Is it Uh, Is it described as something that's another dimension? It is something that is a place of torment. Very interesting. Some people would say this, and I know this, as being a pastor for as long as I have, I sit in services like this. Most of you are supportive. You're excited to learn about this. You have questions about this. But every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who has more grace than Jesus, and they think, Pastor Joe, you shouldn't preach on hell. That's not loving. You know, it's very interesting about that. Jesus talked about hell twice as much as he talked about heaven. And the truth is, I don't think you can get more loving or caring than Jesus. Amen. Amen. Churches, including us during this series, are opposite at best. We talk about heaven way more than hell. And if Jesus was bold enough to talk about hell, he wasn't afraid to do it, we shouldn't be afraid to do it either. The Bible directly refers to hell 167 times. Jesus preached on hell 33 times. Now, that's very interesting because he was 30 years old before he even started preaching. So within three years, he preached 33 sermons. That is on average once a month having a sermon on hell. The Bible, uh, 19 of the 33 times that Jesus uh, preached that in the Bible, he used the word fire to describe it. If hell... Is figurative. If it is just a metaphor, then Jesus was being very misleading in the way that he presented it. I don't believe that he was. He never referred to hell in symbolic terms. He referred to it as a real and literal place. He taught it as a definite and real place. Now, as a preacher, I have a license to do what I'm doing today. I'm meddling a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm lifting up some theological rocks. But I am called by God to rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, I don't want to be on one ditch and I don't want to get in on the other. It's not that I'm a moderate. is that there's a sweet spot called truth and I need to present that to you. But the problem is, in our church histories in the room, and many of us have church history, you either came from a church that only talked about heaven, 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 grace, 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 and it was all good, 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 and we never talked about something of consequence, And consequently, you're skewed a little bit where you think that anything negative should not be heard, and that's wrong. In fact, I would put it this way, write it down, you don't know how good the good news is until you first know how bad the bad news is. Now, you don't have to understand everything about the consequence of hell and how negative it actually is to get saved. That's not what I'm saying. You could actually know very little and accept Christ and be saved. But the more you learn about hell, honestly, it's going to make you so grateful for what Jesus did on our behalf. So there's one group that's all about heaven. The other group, uh, my church growing up wasn't quite like this, but we erred on the side. It was all about hell. Like, turn or burn. Hell's hot. Jesus is coming back soon. Get right or get left. White horse. Make your decision now. Deacon, lock the door. You know, I mean, like, hello altar call, okay, serious stuff. And it was hell, hell, hell. There's a devil under every rock. And I got to tell you, I don't believe that there's a devil under every rock. Every other rock? Yeah, but not every rock. And like I made it very clear, theologically, most of them have headquartered in Washington, D.C. Amen. I'll keep saying it as long as I get points. Okay. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. We're going to camp out here for just a second. I want to show you this. Jesus literally peels back the veil, and he welcomes you and I in on a story. It's very significant what he does because he takes us out of this dimension, and he takes us into the dimension of paradise, which was the forerunner to heaven, also called Abraham's bosom, and Hades, also called hell, heaven and hell. Luke 16, I'm going to start in verse 19. There was a certain, everybody say certain, Certain. there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar, everyone say certain. certain? A certain beggar named Lazarus. Look at me very quickly. This is not a parable. Not every story Jesus told was a for instance. Not every story was a story that was like, hey, out of this like like Aesop's fables, we can generate these truths. No, no, no. This was a certain man, a certain rich man and a certain beggar. And and Jesus is not saying something lightly. He is taking us in and saying, I know about this. This is spiritually discerned. Wow. So it was that the beggar died. He was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Again, the forerunner to heaven, also called paradise. The rich man also died, and he was buried. And being in torments in Hades, the Greek word for hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Again, paradise. Now, if you missed some of the first weeks of the series, we described uh, that before Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, that the underworld, Sheol, looked like a Dr. Mario pill. On one side was hell, Hades, and on the other side was Abraham's bosom, paradise. And they were able to see one another back and forth in all of this. Something very interesting that I take from this story is that rich or poor, we're all going to die. If Jesus doesn't come back in your lifetime, you will face death. And if you think that your life is going to continue as it is forever, friend, you should rethink that. There's a really high percentage chance that death will affect you. Also, I take from this particular story, it has nothing to do with money. There are rich people and poor people in heaven. There are rich people and poor people in hell. Being poor does not make you holy. That rich man was in hell because he rejected God. That's what we know. And I'm going to tell you something. If being poor somehow is a great virtue, and that's a very holy thing, there are some orthodox churches that even teach that junk then we should go find the most poor person in the whole world, and they should be, by reason, the most holy person. And we know that not to be true. If they would, there'd be people in Africa and India that would solve some of the starvation troubles. If they're so holy, they're going to have a good mind about that. We know that that's not the case. So this has nothing to do with if you're rich, you go to hell. That is not the case. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Is hell real? It's a certain man and another certain man. Jesus is saying that they're in tor- or the, the uh, rich man was in torment. Write it down. Is hell real? Hell is real. Your Jesus is teaching a very real hell. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There was an author who had somewhat of a following in Granville, and he taught people in a book that he wrote, and I'll see their bumper stickers now and again rotting away on vehicles, but it's all about how hell is figurative, symbolic, and hell is not real. Okay? this person is an author not a pastor a pastor wants to give people answers wants to bring people to green pastures still waters I need to give you the truth I'm not trying to sell you something and I'm going to tell you something anybody that tells you that hell is not real is selling you a line and it will affect the way you live your life if you don't understand the consequence of some of these things you're going to miss the plot now the question then is what is hell like we'll keep on reading verse 24 Luke 16 24 Then the rich man cried, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Okay, my theological mind goes and says, well, wait a second. How does he recognize Lazarus? His body's on earth. He's buried. It even says that. Yet they're in this dimension, spirit and soul, and they're able to recognize each other. Did you know that your spirit has physicality? In other words, your family members that have gone on to heaven, they look like themselves. It doesn't matter what this world says you can do to mutilate yourself into a different identity. You are who God created you to be, and you don't have a vote in it. And when you face eternity, you will look like the truest you despite whatever you did. Do you hear what I'm saying? Hell is a place of torment. It says, I'm tormented in this flame. Hell is the antithesis, it's the opposite of heaven. So so when we read about the presence of God being in heaven, hell is the absence of God. And you think, well, I don't always feel him anyway. No, it it is a void of presence you've never experienced. As much as you've ever questioned whether or not you've ever experienced the presence of God, the the beautiful sunrises, all of that is, is remnants of what God built into this world, still surviving through So hear me, it is the absence of his presence. It's a place of everlasting torment. It's violent. It's hateful. God says that he is the light of heaven. In hell, even though there's flames, it's in complete darkness. You'll read about a river that has living water in heaven. In hell, there's eternal thirst and eternal hunger that's never satisfied. When Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. There is no rest in heaven. Think about the times that you just would have appreciated. You know, Maybe you went to a big old UM or, or, or state game, and, and I was surprised. Kai and I, we lived down in Oklahoma, went to Bible school down there. I went to an OU game. I bought tickets for seats. We never sat in the seats. The whole time we're standing, right? And I, I like sat down for a second, got dirty looks from some of those Okies. I'm telling you, I didn't dare do it again. Think about the times you've needed to rest. There's no rest for you in heaven. Think of the times you're just dog tired, doing all the yard work, everything else, maybe fixing something. I gotta go to bed. There's no rest for you, but you feel the angst of tired forever. There's no relationship in hell. There's relationship in heaven, not in hell. Hell, you'll be in isolation with one caveat except for the demons that torment you. Isolation. Military, uh, uh, great spy minds or military minds will tell you that isolation is a form of torture. Absolute isolation. There'll be no laughing or stories or jokes. You'll never feel a comforting touch again if you go to heaven. Now, I'm sorry, to to hell. I haven't been saying heaven, have I? A Couple times. Can I pull a Willy Wonka? Strike that, reverse it. I'm just checking to see if y'all are watching. Weed out the Methodist, my gosh. Okay, I'm kidding. Relax. I'm not going to read it, but in Luke 16, 27 and 28, the rich man begs Abraham to send someone to go evangelize his brothers. He says, I have five brothers. Send someone that they might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Listen to me. There is prayer that is ascending from beneath your feet right now the prayer ministry in hell is on point they are passionate and they are screaming for somebody to go tell the people that they knew to get go get them so they don't have to come here it is literally on fire and that 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 Bucks at all of those people that say, Oh, Pastor Joe, I want to go to hell. I'm going to go down there and party. Buddy, you will not be partying in hell. You'll be in torment and you won't see anybody that you used to party with. It's not like that. And so here's what I'm trying to say What is hell like? Hell is horrible. Write that down. You need to have that written down at some place in your life. Hell is horrible. Which leads us to the last question in these series of questions on hell. How can a loving God send someone to hell? It's an interesting question. God is both loving and God is also just. He's a good judge. I mean, if we ever face trial, we would want a a just judge to preside over our trial, yeah? And in the same way, he's a gentleman and he never pushes himself on anyone and so we we start talking about these weighty topics of hell and heaven and God sending people to hell you just can't find it in the Bible and in fact God loves you so much he says no I don't want my I'm not willing that any would perish over my dead body do they need to go to hell in fact write it down you'll have to step over your Jesus if you want to go to hell He sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross with your name on it. He paid the price for the worst sinner so that you could be saved. He's not willing to send anybody to hell. That's not how it works. Hell, and here's what blew my mind. I'd hear it in Bible school, and I'd, know that can't be true. I'd hear it by a preacher or something, and after all these years, all of my adult life and some of my teenage years being in ministry, here's what I've realized. The people in hell want to be there they don't want to hurt but they don't want to submit to god you know the common denominator of everyone in hell is rebellion the common denominator of everyone in heaven is submissive hearts and 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 the people in hell they don't want your opinion about things they don't want to be told what to do don't tell me what to do You can't give any adjustment. You can't encourage them. They're so sensitive about those things. They'll pop off at you at the drop of a hat, get ugly with you. All you're trying to do is mention one thing and help them, but they're angry about it. The people that are in hell want to be there. Hell is a place for people that want to pay for their own sin. Does God send people to hell? No, it wasn't created. Listen to me. It wasn't created for people. I want to show you that. Matthew 25, God will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, how does that all work then? If you become a person who humbles yourself and says, you're not God, which shouldn't be hard. I'm not God. I'm not such a good God over my life. And you yield to the lordship of Jesus. You say, you can have my life. Whatever I do, whatever I am, I might not be the best Christian, you got me. That makes you identify with him and you take shelter in him in the same things Jesus earned for himself, you get. It's covenant. Conversely, if you reject the free gift of Jesus and identify with Satan, you're also going to identify with his defeat No, it was not prepared for people. But if you want to pay for your own sins, that's where you have to go. That's fair. Unfair is Jesus coming down and dying for us. Godly dying for ungodly. Do you you see where I'm going with all this? It's a big deal, guys. It's like people that end up in prison, and let's just say that they're there for a bona fide reason, right? They chose to be there. No, they didn't choose to be inside that cell with these bars. When did they choose to do it? The moment that they committed the crime. That's when you made the decision. And in the same way, in this life, we make decisions, and it has consequence, grievous consequence. Those that reject God, like Satan, go where he goes. It's high treason. Revelation 14, and this is what blows my mind. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. You know, Jesus paid for all to have that glorified body. And even those going to hell will have a glorified body, which means that contrary to some theologians who say that eventually you'll be consumed in hell, you'll never be consumed in hell, your glorified body will heal you in real time. But that also means you'll feel the flames of fire anew at every moment. And the smoke continually ascends it's both destruction and an everlasting torment at the same time it's a grievous thing write it down hell is forever hell is forever i love you and that's why i'm telling you that now the children of god we're anticipating a different eternity the one we've been talking about this whole month the children of god are looking forward to heaven john 14 if you would Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back, and I will take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Wow. Write it down. Heaven is forever. Yeah, hell is forever, but heaven is forever. I love how he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. It took God Almighty seven days to create the majesty that this world is, and yet he's been working on your heavenly home for over 2,000 years. He says, I want you to be with me. See, how many of y'all grew up in a church that was like that? Or was it all lightning bolts and guilt and act right? Don't smoke or chew or go girls that do. I mean, It was all condemnation. Some church, I mean, some of y'all grew up in a life-giving setting. Praise the Lord. But listen to me, what Jesus' heart for you is, is this, I love you, I'm going to go prepare a place, man, figure out this, come with me. And he made that way for those of us that were destined to a hell without him. Now, believers face a different judgment from unbelievers. We all are going to face a judgment, but believers have a completely different one. Guys, go up and throw uh, throw that slide up there. I want to show you this. And listen, uh, this is ironically not meant to all be read in this sitting. I'm going to post this on social media today. But the idea is Robert Jeffries made this chart, did a great job on it, on the contrast in between what's called the Judgment Seat of Christ and the Great White Throne Judgment. Judgment Seat of Christ also called the Bema Seat, two different things. So with the Judgment Seat of Christ, believers, during the rapture, are going to have a life review with Jesus. So when we are raptured up to be with him, whether it's the dead in Christ returning back, getting their bodies, or whether it's us ascending into heaven, the, the, the literal heavens to be with him, when that happens, we're going to kick off a seven-year feast called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. During that time, somebody's going to come and say, hey, you got a meeting with the Master. And you're going to go off, and it will be you and Jesus. And you will have a life review from the beginning to the end good things and the bad things you say well that doesn't sound like heaven that's why he's going to burn heaven and start a whole new one but scripture says that he'll have to wipe the tears from our eyes because we did bad yeah also because of all the missed opportunities we're going to see the potential the meat on the bone if you will of what we could have been what we could have done but then he's going to look at our life soberly, and he's going to reward Christians that are, that are, that are taking ground for him. And, and i got to tell you, this judgment will be unfair. Why is it unfair? Well, it starts out with the fact that you don't have to pay the price for your sin. He already paid for that. I mean, you're even, the fact that you're there, it's unfair. But then he's going to reward you on top of it, free from punishment, even though we're going to process every bit of the negative. That's pretty cool. Unbelievers are going to face the great white throne judgment. This is a judgment without the shelter of Christ. The results are fair, meaning that those without Christ are identified with Satan and have to pay the price for their own sin. They get the life review, but unfortunately, they're confronted with the meat on the bone and who they could have been in Christ, and then it's depart from me. I never knew you. See, it's not what you know about God. It's who you know. Selah. Now let me talk to you, hopefully, a little bit lighter tone about heaven's reward. Can you help a brother out a little bit? Um, There's a reward coming with Jesus. So when he returns for the rapture of the church, the Bible says this in Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming quickly, hallelujah, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So we know theologically he's not even going to give us the reward until during the time of the seven years of tribulation when we're in heaven and the world is going through chaos. But he brings the reward with us. It's kind of like, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I got the coolest Christmas gifts for the kids. I'm so excited about it. And I don't want to tell you what it is. Let's just say that I'm not going to allow my kids to have anything that goes to the Internet, right? But we got a gaming console from the 90s that's super, okay? The night we got it from the eBay, your boy went to the fifth level of Mario World. I'm just telling you, it's a pretty cool thing. Muscle memory, wrist, I've got it. Like, and so I'm so excited about it. Kai is having to tell me, put it away. We're not giving it to him, it's Thanksgiving. There's no presents at Thanksgiving. Stop it. I'm like, that's going to be fun, you know, and... and and that's what I picture God's like. He sends Jesus. He's like, I got all their cool stuff. Wait till they see it. They're going to be blown away. Oh, man. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend a little bit of time, and I'm going I'm to teach you about the five crowns of heaven. I'm going to tell you about the seven privileges of heaven, and then I'll talk a little bit about maybe some of the extra things that we hope are there. Uh, The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive. And that's the idea, that we receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, good or bad. The five crowns of heaven, the first one is this, the crown of righteousness. Crown of righteousness, maybe you want to take your phone and take a picture of this. Crown of righteousness, here's the good news. If you're born again, you at least have one crown in heaven. It's for those people that are born again, you're expectant living, knowing that there's an eternity in heaven for you. There's the victor's crown. These are people that have had to say no to sin. Yeah, they've had to say no to sin, but they've also had to say no to maybe some opportunities That were good but weren't God. Maybe some things that might have made them wealthy but weren't moral. They've had to say no to a lot of things and they were still victorious, albeit in eternity. It takes incredible discipline. That's the victor's crown. There's the crown of rejoicing, also called the soul winner's crown. This is for the person that evangelizes, is telling friends and family about Jesus. It is not for the ministry gift of evangelist. It's for the Christian who takes their role very seriously of telling other people about Christ. The crown of life. This is for the person that triumphs uh, over persecution, uh, difficult temptation, even martyrdom. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Afghanistan being slaughtered because of poor leadership stateside. And those people are going up and receiving a crown of life. Hallelujah. And they're for people who endured and didn't deny Christ to the end. The crown of glory. These are for faithful elders. Now, you might have come from a a religious background, and they called eldership, maybe there's an office of elder at your church or whatever. That's fine. It has nothing to do with what Scripture depicts, but that's cute, you know. I mean, the Bible says there's diversities of governments. You can do it that way, and good churches do it that way. But eldership is a state of being, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And so those that get the crown of glory are those that fed God's sheep. It's also extended to deacons, and those deacons are those people who are feeding God's sheep. We would say at New Chapel, sometimes people quiz us like, well, you don't have deacons. Well, we have a go team. That's deacons. Deacon means servant leader. Yeah. So anyway, the crown of glory. Those are the five crowns. And if you start calling yourself a deacon, you're going to be off from that team quicker than you think. Okay. <laughs> deacon John, how are you doing today? I don't know, Friar Joe. Okay. <laughs> Stop, you're bad. Okay. Apart from the five crowns, there's seven privileges. I'm going to go through these very quickly. The first one is uh, those that will be privileged to eat of the tree of life in paradise, and that's for a personal, heartfelt relationship with Jesus. Uh, There are also people who will be privileged in having confidence that they won't be hurt by the second death, all Christians, really, and uh, that is for keeping Christian witness, enduring persecution and hardship. There will be people who will receive God's hidden manna. Now, that is probably literally a food, but it's also probably... Um, maybe some more depth to the scripture, or maybe some other things he has to say. Who knows? The Bible says we'll also receive a white stone, which has incredible symbolism I can't go into, with a new name on it. God's going to give you a new name, Pretty significant. And that is for persevering in a decaying culture. Wonder how many men and women in this room, parents in this room, are going to have that privilege. I will. We're privileged to have authority over the nations and receive something called the morning star, something I didn't have time to study out, and that's for godly discernment and standards. Uh, We're privileged to walk with Jesus personally, have have this uh, personal acknowledgement with him because we endured hard things in a culture that would have pushed us towards not being pure, and we stayed pure. We're privileged to receive a pillar or a monument in our honor in God's house. So, in other words, think of a uh, kind of like one of those Greco Roman style, you know, things with all the different pillars. You'll have a pillar with your name on it in God's house. That's incredible. As well as being personally marked by Jesus with his new name, Jesus will have a new name in heaven. This is in your Bible. We're privileged to be welcome to sit with Jesus on his throne, and that is for those people that never let their first love go and they stayed passionate for Christ in a world that went Casper Milky Toast. Wow. Those are some of the privileges. Now, you say, well, Pastor Joe, that doesn't paint a full picture. I know. Let me give you a little bit extra. God knows who you are. In fact, God made you. God gave you the desires that are in your heart. And yes, we have some fleshly desires that are wrong, but he knows the discernment in between the two. And some of the things you're interested in, he knows about that and he put them there. Why would he do that to tease you so you went to heaven and it looked like you went into the ER at Spectrum? Sterile with fluorescent lights. It's not going to be that way. Let me tell you what my heavenly house is going to have. It's going to have a whole wing that's going to be modern. It's going to have beautiful, Uh, wood paneled walls. I'm going to have a 1962 Rosewood Eames chair, 670 and 671. And I don't want it new. I want it broken in. Anybody else know what I'm talking about besides just like five people in the room? Modern. Then I want a whole wing of the house that's like traditional and with claw and ball furniture. And I want a big old desk and, and all kinds of like cool crown molding and why do I want any of those things? God put those things in me. He made me the way that I am, and he made you the way that you are. Right. Maybe you want a house in the country or a house that will be lakeside, or you're not interested in any of that. You want a river. and God knows you, and he's going to reward you in ways that only he would know. Some things that you've never even articulated, he knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows how to reward his kids. Now, i got to move on. These rewards indicate something very significant. It is as though it means an incredible deal to Jesus that we do certain things. He wants to really acknowledge those things. And isn't it like the devil to make it so churches don't talk about these things? Let me tell you a spirit of religion. Spirit of religion says, oh, no, no way. I I don't deserve any of it. Well, Well, duh, we all know you don't deserve any of it. But if Jesus says, I'm rewarding you, you ought to be humble and agree with what Jesus says. Go, yep, I'll take it. Praise the Lord. You know, don't bring up all the bad stuff you did. You know, he knows. And so true humility says, hey, why is he doing this? He wants to see certain behavior. If God's only mission was for us just to end up in heaven, why wouldn't the moment you accept Christ, you just disappear off the face of the earth, you're gone. There's something else at play. We're here to live this life out, the rest of this life, for a purpose. In the time I have with you, I'm going to give you three thoughts about that. Let me read it for you in Titus chapter 2. We're called to live our lives directed towards eternity, guys. The grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. It's right there. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. What is it saying there? You can read that and say, okay, God wants us to act right. Well, he's not here. All right, you know, cat's away. We still need to play, okay? He's not just saying, act right, be moral. He's saying, I got stuff for you to do. There's something in this world that has meaning to it all that you need to live this life looking forward to that. And that's not just like, man, I'm excited about heaven. It's directing your life towards those eternal things, living for eternity. Number one, if you want to live for eternity, you're going to have to refocus your energies. Write that down. We put energy to so many things in this world, but if we really would take inventory of our life, there's some areas that we need to redirect and say, God, you need this. You need this focus. God, you, you need this emphasis in my life. I'm sorry for what I made. The Bible shows us that we're a stranger in this world. Philippians 3, the Bible says that your citizenship is in heaven. We're passing through. So what do we do? In the meantime, here's what I'm doing. As a Christian, not as your pastor, as a Christian, I'm going to leverage my life, everything about my life, Eternity. So I'm going to leverage my house. I'm going to leverage my car. I'm going to leverage my, my social life, my time, my energy, my ideas. I'm going to leverage my money, leverage my efforts. I'm going to take all of my life and leverage it towards heavenly things, godly things. So it's not that you can't have a cool car. Have your cool car, but pick up your buddy who's not saved that you work with and witness to him. Hey, God gave me this. Without him, I wouldn't be driving this. God's been good to me. Hey, have a big old bougie table, but invite people onto it. Love on people. Christians and those far from God, leverage everything about your life for him. And if you don't, and if you're not careful, friend, you'll fall in love with the world. And it's so easy to do you love god put your money where your mouth is That's what jesus says in matthew 6 he says hey don't 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 store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal store up for yourselves treasures in heaven this is not saying you can't have stuff you can have stuff stuff can't have you it can't be stored up, and, and everything about your aim, everything about your pursuits is just getting more stuff, getting another promotion, getting, getting the more bougie, bougie ring, getting the more bougie, bougie stuff. I'm telling you, that stuff will follow your life if you follow Jesus first. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, it, it, again, nothing wrong with having stuff. Don't let it have your heart. Because something that I, I see in my church right now, and I just have to say it because I love you, I see us. Have first class dedication to third class pursuits. Things that, things that really don't matter. And yet, God has these objectives that He wants to see done in, in His kingdom. And guys, we got to get behind that. Are we directing our resources towards eternity? That's why we talk about New Chapel Connect. New Chapel Connect is the the two sessions, two Sunday afternoons, where we talk about the vision of the church, we help you identify your gifts and talents, and ultimately, we're trying to get you on a team. We realize, for most people, in the sound of my voice, your calling is outside of this place. Very few are probably called into the five-fold ministry. However, there are things about your call out there in the wild you'll never be able to realize, at least at the level you could, until you learn how to serve in the house of God. Rich poor high flutin and the lowest most humble position around we're all sons and daughters of god say amen somebody that's why we encourage people to worship one and serve one it's not about your stuff it's not about the things it's about your heart for some of you you've become depressed and the reason why you become that way is because you're living for yourself You've got your own script that you're trying to write. You're trying to have your own novel and write your own path forward. And that's self-helpy. That's new age at best. That's not how God's kingdom works. If you're hurting, if you're hard-pressed in here, if you're in a really tough spot in your life, I gotta tell you, it's not gonna bother you as much if your focus is on another world. 2 Corinthians 4, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love that. We think all the things that we're trying to do to get Christmas gifts or try to pull this off or get the raise or whatever, we think that's important, but God says that's not eternal. That's that's not the direction, the trajectory, really, of your life. Wow. I've had dozens of phone calls in my ministry. Hard phone calls. I, I remember one... Mildred and Wilfredo and he passed away. He was driving on a date night with his wife. They'd been married for like 30 years and his heart just stopped and he veered off the road. It was right next to Tanger Mall and uh, I got the call. It was the day before Easter 2016 and I, I rushed out there. I said, guys, you figure it out. I got to go be there for Mildred. I got there and when I got there, everybody was gone. Her small group beat me there. One person. I'll never forget that. You need to be in but the car had already been towed away, all the police and everything, and she's with her husband in a ditch by the side of the road. What do you tell somebody who's facing something like that? You don't try to give your theological answer for why things like that happen. You have to ultimately say, this life is temporary. I've had grievous phone calls from family, lost my nephew, who was like a son to me. I loved him dearly home on leave, got to call. He was in a car accident and died. Hugged him 24 hours earlier at the Christmas party. What do you say? This world is temporary. Your life is like a vapor. It's here one minute, gone the next. Thank God. Thank you, God, that this life is not all that there is. Thank you, God, that there's an eternity that we can look forward to, that those people that we loved will be able to see again. Hallelujah. Say amen, somebody. You talk to somebody from the generation before us or or before them, and they had it hard. We have it so easy. And their hope was not in the here and now. It was in the future. Write it down daily. We need to refocus our lives on where we're going, not on where we currently are. we got to refocus our energies. Number two, if you're going to be a person that lives for eternity, number two, you're going to have to be a person who becomes the person who reaches people. Like, stop resigning it for Pastor Brian and I. Sick them, Pastor. I mean, like, that's funny, but like, who have you brought to church? Who have you talked to at the line at Myers? Who have you, who have you been kind to at the great deals over on Lamarow? You know what I'm talking about, everybody? Who have you helped, like, give them the car uh, with the coin still in it over at the Aldi's? I'm telling you, that's a blessing. <laughs> I haven't carried cash since 1995, so that's a huge deal for me. When have you reached out and been a witness when it's been inconvenient? At New Chapel, we are going to do everything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. We're motivated by the fact that heaven and hell are real. We are motivated to reach those people. And it's not about building a big church. It's not about me. It's it's about people matter. And it's about those people that to be rescued from the stench of hell. Everything on this planet burns, church, except People. And we need to be the people that acknowledge that. We are the people that have the answer. We can't have a Christian country club. Us four no more. we got to get outside of these walls. God so loved the world. Say amen, somebody. In a new chapel, we believe that church is not just for church people. I believe skeptics and saints can sit right next to each other. I hope they come next week and try to stump me. And that's why I need you to join the team get off the bench and jump in. Help me lead this thing. I know you're not perfect. Thank God I'm not perfect either. But we can take ground. We can do more for others. Because Jude says this, we need to be merciful to those who doubt. Maybe you had a family member that was at your Thanksgiving table and they doubt what you're doing right now. They doubt the church that you're in. They, they doubt that you're actually becoming this type of person and Maybe they have their own doubts about God. And here's the truth. You'll win them over by being consistent and loving and praying for them. And I'm telling you from experience that when the feces hits the proverbial oscillator in this world, they'll know who they can call. And will you be there holding your witness for them? Wow. It says, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. What does that mean? That means there's some people that just resist you. I don't want to hear about God. I'm tired of you doing that. Don't lecture me. And it's not that you're lecturing them. You're just loving them. You said, hey, listen, I'm just trying to tell you what God did in my life. Never get into an argument, try to debate facts back and forth with somebody. You're going to lose because they've already decided who's going to win. Here's what you do. If you ever get into something passionate, You just share your story because nobody can argue with a changed life. Amen, somebody? Now, Revelation 22 and verse 17, one of the last verses of the Bible. The Bible says this. The Spirit says, come. Let him who hears, come. Whoever's thirsty, come. Whoever wishes, take the free gift of the water of life. And I want to make that available to everyone in the room. Hear me now. God is good. If you're here as a guest and you're listening to some preacher on the day of child dedications talk about hell, and by the way, let me just say, it's the religious people that would not like me to share a sermon on hell. People who are in the world, they're like, this is interesting. Let's go for it. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? But but listen, it's about you realizing that the door is open, that God has a free gift for you. We're not better than you. We just got to the table before you. Come on in. The water's warm. We're not perfect. We're forgiven. Come into God's presence with the rest of us. Say amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, write it down. Let's reach the lost at any cost because people last forever. Last point. Even though sometimes it can be difficult to talk to other people about our faith, to talk to other people about it, I think sometimes it's easier to talk about them than it is to talk about us. When we start to take our own inventory, it gets a little bit real. And Peter saw that as he wrote this in 2 Peter 3. In keeping with this promise, he writes, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You can't read these things and not land on, I got to renew my relationship with God. Let me tell you what I'm doing today. I'm renewing my relationship with God. Maybe you're a person far from God. You've never accepted Christ before. Like today's the day, jump in. But there's many of us in the room who are Christians. Wherever you're at, you might've talked to him this morning. Take another step. God has more for you don't sit on the benches of your life God has purpose for you say amen somebody this isn't just for everybody else it's for you let's go reach the, yeah. let's go reach you first how you doing I can hear my son and I feel like he would say it this way Jesus came to get you and God back together again that's what he did heaven is real eternity is real so much in the balance and friends thank god that he sent his only son jesus to be in our place would you bow your heads with me father in the name of jesus i thank you for my church god i thank you that they heard a life-giving message about hell and heaven and everything in between and god i thank you that you're speaking to your kids today Lord, I know that there's Christians in the room and they're being challenged. Like there's an area that they need some renewal in. They got to give it to God. Maybe an area that they've got to say, hey, I- I've been a little pathetic here and, and it's-, it's been an apathy. I've got to let that go. Turn around. God, minister to your kids in the room. Lord, I thank you that they're hearing from you. And, and listen to me, Christian. Don't take it as condemnation. God's never leading you to condemnation. The only reason why he'd bring something up is because you can deal with it right now. You can repent. You can, and don't even say it out loud, but just right now, in your heart, say, God, I give it to you. I'm sorry. I'll turn it around, God. Maybe he's showing you somebody you got to call or you got to talk. Hey, schedule the coffee before you leave church today. Leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with the other person because that thing will hold you back from the renewal that God has for you. God, I pray for those in the sound of my voice that might not even know you, but a message like this resonates with them. Help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You came into my auditorium today Say, Pastor Joe, I don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. In a minute, we're going to pray. In the prayer, it's going to be a prayer making Jesus Lord of your life. Lord means boss. It's you finally saying, I'm not such a good God over my life, but I give it to Jesus. When that happens, you will have a guaranteed eternity in heaven if you mean it from your heart. If you don't mean it and you just recite poetry, you'll leave the same way you walked in the opportunities in front of you today to make things right with God and it's through accepting Jesus Christ. Church, I want us all to pray this with those that are praying it for the very first time. Pray this with me with heads bowed and eyes closed. Pray, Dear Heavenly Father, say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead this I believe so with my heart and with these words I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord I surrender now Jesus I call on you come into my life forgive my sins put your spirit within me I receive all that you have for me thank you for forgiving me thank you for making all things new in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Praise God. If you prayed that and meant it from the bottom of your heart, we are so excited for you. Let us know about it. We talked about connection cards earlier in the service. Those people that are filling it out as first-time guests, there's people that will be filling it out with prayer requests or chains of information. Grab one of them and check the box that says, I accepted Christ. Please do it, and here's why. I want to send a note talking about next steps that you can take in your faith. God has huge things for you. He wants you to get plugged into a church. It doesn't have to be this one. I'm very partial. Uh, but, But God wants you to get into church. He wants you to get baptized. He has huge things for you to do, the least of which is to fill out that connection card here today. I give you permission that if you were one of those people that didn't obey and you peeked during the altar call grab them. Grab the connection card and have them fill it out. What a great thing to celebrate together as a family. One more time, church, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Praise God. Stand up on your feet, gang. Hey, I hope that this series has blessed you and next week, I, I believe, will be the crown on all of this where we're really getting to the weeds on so many of your questions. I know that you have them. A couple of announcements before we dismiss worship team tryouts. They're gonna be happening this Thursday. If you can't make that one, they'll also be happening next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. If you play the ukulele or the harmonica, you're part of this, okay? You can sign up over at guest services and uh, please do show up. We'd love to be able to build our team. Our team has been so faithful and I think it's time to expand all of that. We're also having Christmas Eve services on the 24th. It's gonna be awesome. Now, I do wanna say, we're moving our Sunday services that were scheduled for the 26th, we're moving those to Friday, the 24th, to have Christmas Eve and also because if I don't wanna come to church on Sunday, I know you don't wanna come to church on Sunday, it's gonna be a sleep-in, volunteer appreciation and online only Sunday, but two services on Friday, four o'clock and six o'clock, identical services, so you won't miss anything. Invite everyone that you know. God will be pleased with that. And then finally, after we dismiss today, we are having a Go Team rally point. So for those of you that are part of the Go Team, I'm watching. And uh, what I'd like to do is be able to hang out with you. I'm going to make it so short like 30 minutes. We're going to have pizza and talk about the next six to eight weeks of programming so you know what's going on. Don't be like, what's going on? I want to talk to you about what's going on. So don't miss any of that. Babe, why don't you come up here? Let's pray for the people. Give it up for my bride. Yeah. We love you guys and the series has been a riot. I can't wait for next week. Celebrate those parents that you see that dedicated their kids. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, as you go, have a great week. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.